Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 139. Nick Munt, Realtree, Barbershops, and Freak Nasty. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morris's Sporting Goods and the Eurohanger. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Big Al Morris with Fox Pro Game Calls, and you're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey guys, it's Jim Caesar, owner of Swamp Bottom Media. Get ready for another amazing podcast with Jay and Dustin. On the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. So my name is Jason Cogram from Owensboro, Kentucky, and I represent the Jason Cogram Foundation. You're listening to my favorite broadcast of all time, Big Buck Registry. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I don't know what you're doing exactly, but I'm sure hoping you're listening to this show. This is going to be a good one. Dusty, what's happening in Ohio? Oh, man. A whole lot, Jay. The weather's crazy. That That's one thing that's happening. And, uh, you know, hunting season, whitetail season's over. That, that's another thing that I'm kind of bummed about. A little bit of depression set in. I'm having some withdrawals. Uh, I'm not quite to the point where I need to go see a specialist yet, but uh, hopefully it can stay that way where it's not too bad. Gotcha. I, uh, I see you got yourself a new tractor. Yeah, sure did. The hay season's coming up. Uh, we'll be long be making hay here in Ohio, and needed a tractor to run some equipment with and, and finally found one that i that fit my go and went and got it very nice hey i did a little shed hunting the other day been uh, this one eight pointer has been walking around the house or was back back when uh they had antlers on their heads and i've uh scoured every square inch of my uh little you know five acre backyard and uh can't find anything yet so the the hunt is still on for the eight points Sheds, yeah, but I, it was nice to get out for two or three hours the other day. Right, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I've been doing other things and the kids' basketball and, and and that sort of thing. Being sick there for a week, it's been a bad year for me to get in the woods here so far. But uh, hopefully things change and I try to get out and do some uh, shed hunt myself and get in the woods and just enjoy the outdoors. You know, that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, well, if it, it would stop downpouring here in New Hampshire. Uh, I, I'm going to get back out there too. So it's just, it was fun just following the trails and, and just seeing what popped up. Nothing yet, but certainly found where all the deer are are roaming, which is good information to hold for the, the future deer season. Right on for sure. Jay, who we got on the show today? Today we have Nick Munt from The Bone Collector. I don't know if you know who Nick is. He's, he's uh, one of the trio of the three that do The Bone Collector between Michael Waddell and Travis T-Bone Turner. Uh, so he's that, he's that third leg of that whole thing. And uh nick is he he's a tremendous hunter he he grew up in south dakota uh he's he became a barber of all things you wouldn't necessarily think that a professional hunter was a, is a trained barber uh, but he is and uh he was a guide for many many years uh in in south dakota and now he is a professional hunter and has been for a little while under the bone collector brand he's got a very interesting story on how he got there 
Yeah, right on. Uh, before we get to Nick Munt, we need to get with Jim Keller with the Deer News. The Deer News this week is sponsored by the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck. Get yourself a Eurohanger. Facebook.com forward slash Eurohanger. E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story, Alabama hunter harvests a dwarf deer. Joe Reddy of Tallahassee, Alabama has harvested a dwarf whitetail buck. Joe killed the deer while hunting over the weekend of January 23rd and 24th. The deer is 25 inches in height and 44 inches from nose to tail. This story came from Deer and Deer Hunting website. It is written by Alan Clement. In, res- in researching this story, we also found trail cam pics of another dwarf deer that were also taken in Alabama. These pictures were from November and were posted on the QDMA chat forum. We do not know if it is the same deer that Joe harvested or not. Both stories seem to be based out of central Alabama. We also found other past stories that also made reference to dwarf deer in Alabama. If anyone knows additional details in these stories or know of other dwarf deer sightings, please let us know. Chris Brackett has it wrong on CWD. Chris Brackett, host of Fear No Evil on the Outdoor Channel, told a reporter for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that, quote, there has never been an animal die of CWD, end quote. Word of his statement spread throughout all forms of media, social, and others. It's extremely unfortunate that a TV hunter used his position in the hunting community as a pulpit to spread a false message about a disease that threatens the very future of deer hunting. Where yet, people are reporting his statement as fact. A writer for one media source wrote, quote, Brackett's opinion is fresh, unique, and perhaps based on different information than what the public has gotten, end quote. Kip Adams, a biologist and director of educational and outreach for the QDMA, stated, quote, What Chris said is absolutely false, end quote. Adams went on to say, quote, It can take several months or even years for an infected deer to show symptoms of CWD, but the disease is always fatal. The fact is very well documented, end quote. For the full story, please reference fieldstream.com and look for the article by Will Brantley. Two deer that escaped from Wisconsin deer farm had CWD. This story comes from an article by Paul A. Smith in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. 21 white-tailed deer escaped the Fairchild Whitetails Deer Farm near Eau Claire County on May 2nd of last year when a tree fell in the fence. Rick Votick, owner of the farm, didn't know it held deer with CWD until June of last year after the deer had escaped. Two of the deer, bucks, who spent months outside the deer farm, were later found to have chronic wasting disease. The bucks spent more than five months roaming the rural area around Fairchild before being shot. In September, additional deer also managed to escape from the farm. None of this information is good news, but here is where the story really starts. This information was not reported by public officials, and the full story did not go public until agricultural, trade, and consumer protection representatives responded to questions from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The Journal Sentinel also reported that Votick, the owner of the farm, received an indemnity payment of $298,777 when the 228 deer on his farm were killed by state and federal agents. This money was reported to have come from the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection's general program revenue, which is funded by Wisconsin taxpayers. To date, no wild deer in Eau Claire or surrounding counties has tested positive. Reminders of upcoming dates and events. Michigan deer hunters, this is a reminder that all tree stands must be removed from public land by March 1st. Owners of equipment left on public land after March 1st are subject to a 90-day misdemeanor and a fine of $50 to $500 plus the cost of prosecution. And also, mark your calendar. The world's largest shed hunt is scheduled for March 12th, 2016. The third annual shed rally is less than two weeks away. This is an idea started by Whitetail Properties and is gaining popularity each year. Everyone is encouraged to go out and shed hunting on Saturday, March 12th. 
post various pictures or videos of your day on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using hashtag ShedRally. People typically post pictures of the sheds they find, but also group pictures, videos, and other fun from the day. Those who post these to these social media sites will be eligible to win prizes from Whitetail Properties, legendary, legendary Whitetails, and other supporters of the event. This concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. And without further ado, here is Nick Munt from The Bone Collector. Nick Munt, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. It's like to talk to you. We, uh, you know, we're big fans. Uh, we, <laughs> some of the stuff you guys do on on Facebook and all your social media, it just cracks me up. And you guys have a great sense of humor, but you have a, a serious side of you too. And I appreciate all the things you do for hunting and the messages that you send. Well, I appreciate that. And we're, uh, you know, we're all pretty blessed to get to do this. So we, you know, we feel like uh, our job is to promote hunting in a positive way. Um, try to get new people on board and. Um, just really show the good side of hunting and, and how it pertains to family and um, you know I think the history of America and the history of the world is based on hunting so you know, it's our job to keep the spirit alive and get as many people involved as possible. I completely agree with you there. Where would the world be if we didn't have hunting in our in our background as as a as a culture? I mean, we probably wouldn't exist really if you think about it. Yeah, I mean for me for me I don't know what I'd be doing because it's. Uh, it's a huge part of my life. In fact, I've I pretty much focused my whole life on it. Um, to this point, I've never been married, never had any children, just because I've been chasing this dream of, you know, being in the woods every day. And <laughs> Too busy hunting, man. Too busy hunting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's been really good for me, and I just uh, feel so so blessed to get to do it and, and feel free when I'm out there chasing yeah. some kind of animal, you know. Since I was a kid, I've been chasing pretty much anything that runs, swims, or flies away from me, so. That's so cool. That's that's uh, that's what I be, that's what I do too. I do enjoy it. Yeah. So I've, I've done some homework on you, Nick. I've done a little bit of research, and and I understand you're from South Dakota. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Grew up in uh, Spearfish, South Dakota. Is my hometown, right on the uh, Wyoming line, right on the north edge of the Black Hills. Oh wow! And what was that like? That's I mean, that's a whole different ball game. A lot of different terrain than especially what I'm used to in the Northeast or you know, what Dusty is used to in Ohio. But what what was the landscape like? What was life like growing up back then? You know, the Black Hills of South Dakota are a very unique um, place. They're loaded with game. You know, we've got pretty much all of the big game. We've got um, mule deer, whitetails, elk, antelope, turkeys. Um, we've got bighorn sheep and mountain goats. We don't have any bears and we don't have any moose. But, you know, we've got pretty much all the other, you know, big game and um, our upland game hunting in South Dakota, particularly central and eastern South Dakota, not so much where I'm from in the Black Hills, but we've got the best upland game hunting in the country when it comes to pheasants and grouse. And, you know, our waterfowl is, is fantastic there, too, with, you know, close to 40 million waterfowl or something like that coming through there. And you know, the Black Hills where I grew up is uh, in the northern part of the Black Hills, pretty rugged country. You know, we have big, deep canyons and real high peaks up to about 6,700 feet, 6,800 feet, I think, is our highest peak. It's called Crow Peak. It's the second highest point east of the Rockies, with the highest point being Harney Peak, which is in the southern Black Hills, um, kind of down in the Custer area. Yeah. And um, we just hold a real diverse, um, you know, group of wildlife. 
Uh, we have Miriam's turkeys, which are in abundance in the Black Hills. And then uh, if you get a little further east, our turkeys are Rio's and Miriam's. They're hybrids. Sometimes you'll kill one that looks just like a Rio. Sometimes you look, you know, one will look just like a, a, a Miriam's, and then sometimes they're kind of mixed. So, um, you know, we have a, a really cool opportunity to kill three species of turkeys in South Dakota with the Rio, the Miriam's, and then in the eastern part of the state, you can kill an eastern. And, um, you know, it's just a, a really neat area there in the Black Hills. Our winters are fairly nice. You know, we get snow, and it's not uh, bitter, bitter cold like it is in eastern South Dakota and North Dakota. But we get these Chinook winds that come through, and at times it'll melt all the snow, and it'll be 50 degrees in the middle of the winter. Even some years when it's a real nice winter, guys golf all year round. And, and uh, it's just a really nice place to live. The, uh, the hills are covered with ponderosa pine. The foothills uh, have, have oak trees and kind of oak brush. And um, our deer there are uh, kind of a smaller variety, almost like a mountain whitetail that you find in uh, western South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Montana, Idaho. And they're a, they're a smaller deer. I'd say a, a big buck would weigh, you know, with guts, 200 pounds is a, is a okay. real good-sized one. And I'd say like on a four-and-a-half-year-old buck, you know, with all conditions right, his rack would be probably like in the 150s. Wow. So, you know, we don't get those huge bucks like you get uh, in Iowa um, on this side of the state. Now, central and eastern South Dakota is a kind of a different breed of animal. You know, there's a lot better feed there. you got corn and soybeans and um, a lot of agriculture, where in the Black Hills, you know, mainly the agriculture in the Black Hills is alfalfa. Yeah. And so these deer um, live on more of a carbohydrate-rich diet rather than a high-protein diet. And they just don't have as big a bodies. They're actually fairly small-bodied deer. But when a 135-inch buck comes walking through the trees, you know, he, he's similar to some of those Texas deer. They look really big and, and um, you know, they just have a really nice rack structure compared to their body. So you're hunting a little bit smaller-bodied deer, but um, a beautiful deer and, and kind of a tough place to hunt them. You know, it's a thick forest. Can't do a lot of glassing because it's thick. And so the way I always hunted them growing up as a kid was... You know, you'd still hunt through the woods. Um, a lot of guys sit in stands um, along trails and ridge tops, and it's just a really unique hmm. place to hunt with a lot of lot of different game. You just described what, and it's really piqued my interest. I got to be honest. I, I kind of kind of overlook South Dakota a lot, but it sounds like a, uh, a sportsman's paradise in a lot of ways. Boy, it really is, and and. Uh, if you're a fisherman too, you know, the Black Hills is phenomenal trout fishing. You know, I'm not going to say that it has the biggest trout um, in the West, but definitely very abundant uh, trout in our streams. We have rainbows and brook trout um, and, and a lot of brown trout, German browns. And um, The thing I like about the German brown is it's a really aggressive fish and you can catch them on just about any spinner or fly. Um, they're voracious eaters and, and they like to, to, to grab a lure. So um, they're really a fun, fun fish to catch. And then when you get up in some of the lakes up in the high country up here, uh, we've got uh, lake trout and splake and um, just really good trout fishing in all the streams. You can look at the tiniest little stream that's kind of going through the middle of a meadow. And if it's got little tiny pockets in it, you'll catch brook trout out of there, you know, sometimes up to 10 inches long. And it's just a really cool place to come trout fishing. A lot of public water too. Hmm. That's it's amazing how you describe it. It's I wouldn't have said this until just now, but I have just put South Dakota on my bucket list of places I need to go to hang out and enjoy the outdoors. It's it's 
It, it is. And, and, you know, one of the great things that people really don't realize is how much public land we have in South Dakota. We, we have millions of acres of public ground. Hmm. Uh, the Black Hills itself is just, it's a huge playground. I mean, you can do all kinds of things there. There's a lot of turkey hunting in the spring. Um, you know, with a permit, you can ride four-wheelers, um, camp, uh, ride horseback. There's about 500 miles, I think, now of groomed snowmobile trails. You can haul your snowmobiles out there to ride in the winter, or there's several places you can rent from. Um, so the Black Hills are uh, a playground really year-round. and it's a, it's a place that a lot of people know about, but um, you know, not as many people as what you think have been there. And, and uh, I'd highly recommend it if you want to go on a, a Miriam's turkey hunt. And uh, a lot of people, you know, that's the species they need to, to finish the Grand right, Slam. Right. The Black Hills of Wyoming and, and South Dakota on both sides of the line offer a lot of public land with a lot of turkeys. So really all you've got to do is, is buy a tag, get a Forest Service map, and there's a million acres of public land ready ready for you to go try to shoot a Miriams. Gosh dang, that is fantastic. Um, and do you think other people overlook South Dakota as a place to go like I just did or have been doing until just now as, as a place to that you really should visit as a sportsman? You know, I think they do, and I think a, a big reason for that is because the majority of the state is wide open. Yeah. So when you drive through South Dakota, you know, you see 200 miles in the distance, you know, right. and there's, there's places where you don't see a lot of trees, but these, these open areas, they hold a lot of animals. Um, the central part of the state is, is predominantly pasture land and wheat fields. And uh, as you drive through, you know, you think, how can anything live out here? But it's just loaded with whitetails and mule deer. And like I said, all the upland game from um, Hungarian partridge and grouse to uh, the pheasants and as you get a little bit north in the central part of South Dakota is the prairie pothole region, which is absolutely loaded with waterfowl. There's more more nesting waterfowl in the prairie pothole region of North Dakota, South Dakota, and the middle states in Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Um, that's where the majority of the ducks and geese are, and, and uh, just a really overlooked place for all species of hunting, to be honest with you. And I think a lot of people um, pass right through going to other places, or maybe they, they skip over South Dakota because it's not on their radar, but um, it's just a really, really great place, and it was a great place for me to grow up because I spent probably, you know, 75% of my time in the woods and, and hunting with my dad, and um, just a unbelievable place, and it'll it'll always be my home. Sounds like a great childhood. So that's, that, you grew up in spearfish, and from from my research, I, I found that you left Spearfish for a little while, went up to uh, North Dakota uh, in Fargo for a little while. Yep, yep. Yeah. Right after I got out of high school. Yep. Yeah, and you I, went uh, to uh, you went to a barber college. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, one of my best buddies, his dad was the barber in the, in, in my town at Spearfish. You know, I always kind of was into looking good. I always had some kind of a hairdo, I guess you could say, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, I had signed up at Black Hill State University to go to college. And when I went up and met with an advisor, I just I just wasn't into it. And so I, I talked to him and I said, you know, I'm really considering doing this. And so he said, hey, if you come back to town, and you go to work for me. Um, I'll help you get through school and, and uh, then you can come back to work and you can pay me back when you get back here. And so I thought, that's a good deal. So I went to Barber College at Moeller Barber College in Fargo. And yep. um, at that time, it was 1,550 hours to get your degree. And so I went up there and it was just under a year. And then I went back home and uh, cut hair in the barbershop there for four or five years. So no I still do it today. I still, yeah, I still cut hair, um, not at a shop per se anymore, but I keep my license up and yeah. um, I still, you know, cut, cut my friends and, and some of the kids hair. And when I'm in camp, 
you know, sometimes I cut Waddell or T-Bone's hair. And, I was going to say, do you uh, cut Waddell's I, I, hair? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why he's got half an ear on one side. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That is great. You guys spend a lot of time on the road, so I guess somebody's got to cut the hair, right? It's uh, it's easier if you just bring your own barber. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I usually pack my tools. A lot of times uh, guys ask me if I have my tools, and I just say, oh, i got a pocket knife, so that might have to work. But no, I usually I usually carry my tools with me. Just They don't take up much room, and I think it's kind of fun yeah. to that's, bust them out. And that's cool. So you, you kind of yeah. you find it. You must, you must find some relaxation in cutting hair in some ways or uh, to keep doing it and keep your license up. And I mean, because I think what you're doing now is probably pays better than what you'd probably make as a – Barber, it's my guess. Yeah, you know, it's it's good. Um, you know, this isn't something that you get rich at by any means. At least I'm, you know, on, on my end of it. Maybe if you own one of these bigger companies, you can. But, yeah. you know, for me, um, happiness for me is uh, living my life on my own terms. Yeah. Um, not having to uh, report to a nine-to-five and basically getting to live my life the way I want it. Getting up to, getting, you know, having the ability to pack up and go when I want and where I want. Yeah. For me, that's payment. You know, um, if I can if I can be doing what I love to do, it's not like work. It does put me on the road. You know, click close to three hundred days out of the year, and right. um, it, it it does uh, kind of limit you on what you can do as far as commitments because we are so busy. But for me, it's just I mean, I live and breathe hunting. I dream about it. I daydream about it, and it's something that uh, I always wanted to make my life have something to do with animals. And when I was a kid, I dreamt of being a a uh, veterinarian in a zoo, but I guess I don't have enough brains to get through school. So I guess this is the next best thing. You know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to touch animals and get my hands on them. And, sure. and, uh, <laughs> and so when I was a kid, my grandpa always took me out to his farm and would turn me loose and I would catch snakes and frogs and turtles. Well, then kind of got to the point there was other animals that I wanted to get my hands on, but I just couldn't quite catch them. So I figured if I shot them, I could get my hands on them. So that's kind of how I became a good hunter is by hunting small game, you know, squirrels and rabbits and gophers and, and uh, other things that ran away from me, like I said earlier. And um, so that really ignited my passion. And that was all part of it for me was just being able to, to touch the animals and get my hands on them. And so I've always been an animal lover and an animal nut. And uh, being being in this position and getting to hunt for a living for me is it's not about the money. It's not about uh, signing an autograph or having somebody come up to me and tell me they like the TV show. For me, it really is uh, being in the woods, spending my time, um, you know, in nature and, and then, at the end, basically getting to put my hands on all these critters and put them on my wall. I mean, that's that's really what I love. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's worth it's worth more than money. It's basically what it comes it down is. to. It's worth a lot. It more is than for money. me. Yeah, it is for me because yeah. you know you can you can work your butt off and work ninety five hours a week and have a lot of money, but if if you're not happy with what you're doing and you don't get any time to spend your money, then what good is it? You know. So to me. My time is, is money, so I, that's that's what I strive for. Gotcha. So you took your skills as a barber, um, and you moved on. Uh, you worked at your buddy's place in South Dakota for a little while. But it, this this love of the outdoors, this nature thing that you had to kind of tap into, you you turned to a, becoming a guide. And yeah, you know, you, you don't just get, make a career out of it. You have to start somewhere. And it sounds like this is where you you kind of went after spearfish. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was actually working at the barbershop, and I just kind of felt closed in and needed to get out. A couple of my buddies um, owned a fishing boat in Alaska in Bristol Bay, and so I 
told the guy that I was working with that I was going to go and work with him on the fishing boat. And so I did that. But before I left, I started doing a little work uh, with some guys over in Sundance, Wyoming. And um, I talked to uh, Jeff Smith, who was a is an outfitter at 7J, and um, I had met him through another guy. And uh, so they asked me to come and, and guide for him. I was I was doing a lot of hunting and shooting some some pretty good animals. And um, Jeff and I got together, and he said, you know, when you get back from Alaska, you know, we want you to come and guide with us. And so I started guiding there at 7J, and um, I guided, I believe, full time uh, in the fall for about five years. And then I continued to guide there in the spring uh, for 15 years total. I guided there at 7J for turkeys. And um, just really um, learned a lot there as a hunter, um, as a people person, learning how to connect with people and and uh, go one-on-one with people, helping them achieve their goals of you know killing the animal they want to get. So after that happened, um, after all those years, the guys from Realtrade heard about us, and they wanted to come and hunt with us. So um, Jeff made a deal with David Blanton, and he came to film a, a whitetail show. Okay. And so he and Bill, he and Bill came out there, and at that time at 7J, we guided for whitetails, mule deer, elk, antelope, and turkeys in the spring. And so they came on an archery hunt uh, the first week in September. It was, it was Bill Jordan and David Blanton, and I was, I was lucky enough to uh, guide David. And on that very first day, um, we sat down at lunchtime. I had always carried a video camera with me. I bought a video camera at Sears for like, back those days it was expensive. It was like $800. It was a digital yeah. eight. You know, it was top of the line. It had these big fat tapes in it. Yeah, back then, that's it. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I took that thing everywhere with me. And I videoed, you know, the scouting trips. I videoed all the animals. I videoed Jeff Jeff and Deb Smith, the owners of 7J Outfitters. Yep. Um, they have five kids between them. And I videoed all their first turkey kills and deer kills. And, and then uh, my clients in camp, I would video them. And so when David came, uh, we sat down that very first day at lunch, and I showed him a bunch of my footage. And um, he said, man, you run a really good camera. He said, would, would you consider coming to work for us? And I said, man, that'd be like a dream come true, you know. <laughs> That's so awesome. I think it was that day um, after the evening hunt, I went to Jeff and Deb, and I said, hey, you know, David liked my footage, and he's, he offered me a job to come to work for him at Realtree, you know, run a video camera. And I said, man, I said, that would just be like a dream come true for me, you know, and and they said, well, that, that sounds like a great deal. You know, we we want to see you do what you want to do, but we, we'd really like you to guide for us for one more year because I was one of their head guides and I ran a camp. And yeah. I think at that time I was probably about 25, okay. maybe 26. Gotcha. And um, so so I worked for them for a whole other year, and then uh, I went to work for Realtree after that. So That's fantastic. So you, you were working for David Blanton at the time and, and running camera for David. Yep, yep. I was uh, I basically was uh, was on a freelance basis, but I, you know, basically started working for them uh, on the first of of September every year, and just I'd work all the way through January. Okay. And went all over the country, and in those first probably four four or five years, I was pretty much Bill Jordan's right hand man. I went everywhere with him, um, videoed all of his hunts, and you know, again, I didn't have anywhere to be, you know, because I was single and, and no kids or anything. So um, Bill just put me under his wing and and. You know, we flew in a private airplane, and we would just go from place to place to place hunting. And then sometimes in the middle, you know, we'd take a couple of days in Montana and, and uh, jump in his airplane, and we'd head to Talladega and go to the race for a day and then fly back and hunt some more. And then we'd go to Illinois, and then we'd go to Kansas. You know, we'd just go all over the place. So it really gave me an opportunity to uh, meet a lot, of, a lot of people in the industry, um, see a lot of really neat places, and, you know, 
being with a guy like Bill, you know, he's a gung ho hunter, one of the one of the hardest hunting guys that that's ever you know I've ever met. And um, you know, Bill had a family at that time, his son Tyler and, and his wife, and um, he was out on the road a lot, you know, working hard, getting good video, and and hunting a lot. So I learned a lot from Bill in those early days, and I think it's really carried over to what we do now. Just the uh, I guess you, I guess you could say the um, the ambition to get out there and to get it done on on quality animals. Really, Bill helped bring that out of me and, and uh, kind of showed me the ropes. And um, I learned a lot from those guys. And, and David Blanton to me is a has been a super mentor. He's a very um, great Christian man and a good family man. And um, his values are second to none. And, and I have just learned a lot from those guys over the years. I just can't thank them enough for you know the places that they've taken me in my career, and not only then when I worked for Realtree, but now you know working for Bone Collector and and um, and actually working for them, uh, hosting the road trip show with Michael and T Bone as well. So you know Realtree has just given me so many opportunities in my life, and just very thankful for those guys. That's that's the two mentors that really kind of paved the way in the whole outdoor industry for for quite a while and it's it's uh this must be an amazing trip just to kind of ride ride their coattails for quite a while that's awesome yeah and yeah and i you know i'm I'm not ashamed to say that that uh that's exactly what it is is riding their coattails and, and same with waddell now you know i mean michael's michael's opened a lot of doors for me and given me a lot of opportunities and and uh you know i'm just really thankful and humble because you know, I, it's it's not a lot of people that get that opportunity, especially especially these days when there's so many TV shows and so many people trying to get into it. Right. Um, I just feel lucky to be where I'm at, and the guys that have given me the opportunities um, are guys that uh, I'm loyal to, and you know, I'll never forget that. Gotcha. And when 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 did Michael Waddell come into into your life? When did that all develop? That year after I I hunted uh, with David that that very next spring. Uh, Michael had never shot a Miriam's turkey, and so he was—he wanted to get his grand slam. So he came out, and I hadn't met Michael at that point. So um, he came out. I met him at Seven J, and I actually—that was the first time I was going to be running camera. And so he came out, and uh, we went out, and we got him his first Miriam's, and I videoed the hunt. And I'm not kidding you. From the day he got there, from like five minutes after we shook hands, we were laughing and carrying on. And we were sharing a bedroom, and we would laugh. We would wake up in the dark laughing, and go to bed at night laughing. And I mean, it was just like we were Siamese twins <laughs> connected, you know, connected and, and lost at birth, and then rejoined, you know, at the hip. So we just hit it off right off the bat. And for us, it's nothing but fun. I mean, when we're trying to make our schedule out in the fall, we kind of have a few cat fights once in a while, arguing about who's going to go where and, and all that kind of stuff. But. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, we get along great. He's a great guy to work for. He has no ego. He's uh, he's not a bully, and, and he's just a super easy guy to work for. So, um, I've been blessed. I've been blessed, you know, with all of that. Not only him giving me my opportunities, but um, just him being a great boss and, and a great friend as well. So, it's been really good. That's fantastic. I I want to transition and to start talking a little bit about some of your hunting techniques and things you've learned over the years. But before we do. Um, tell me, who is this Michael Pitts guy? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Pitts is uh, a great guy. Got an unbelievable sense of humor. You know, he he was uh, born and raised in West Point, Georgia, and uh, he's a firefighter in West Point. And uh, and he has a little he has a little bow shop. In fact, T Bone and T Bone and uh, Michael Pitts worked together for a long time uh, at an archery store in the Grange, Georgia. And so Pitts Pitts learned a lot of the stuff that he knows. Uh, from T-Bone, and 
he is just a super funny guy with an unbelievable sense of humor. And he is country as heck. You know, he's got that hardcore, heavy <laughs> southern Georgia drawl and just a hoot of a guy. And, and he's starting to do some stuff on Realtree.com. And, oh, man, he's funny. If you've, if you've never seen him on there, make sure you go and check out uh, That's Realtree.com. That's where I saw on, it. On Realtree's Facebook page, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's a great guy, funny, and a heck of a bow wrench. You know, if he's he's got a, an archery shop there in West Point called What It Do Archery. <laughs> very nice so, oh he's got a great he's sense good. of humor he, the stuff he was pulling at the ata with you guys was was just tremendous um oh, yeah. just uh, and you have to go see the video to understand but it's uh just a very quick sense of humor and and the the humor is is not what you expect really you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily uh ask uh michael why does he have so many dumb catchphrases <laughs> that you was know, one of the it questions just, it, it just comes out of him i don't know what it is about him but he can he can come up with some crap i don't know that's and, awesome you know him and his him and his dad have an uncanny ability to butcher the human language too you know instead of a instead of a jacuzzi tub they call it a jacuda tub or a you know or, or, or wrigley's believe it or not or, or whatever you know those guys are kind of notorious for that oh that's perfect they come up with some they come up with some funny stuff and what you never know what's going to come out of what else now it's great <laughs> that's awesome well, let's <laughs> let's talk about some deer hunting now and you're you have i mean you've been a guide you've been in the woods you've been hunting all over the place uh with some of the best deer hunters in the world so you must have picked up on some things over the years and added some techniques and you know probably had some failures that they it made you a better hunter and I, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. I want to bring Dusty in here because and see if we can break down some of those those things. Because one of the goals we have here on the Big Buck Registry is to dissect world class deer hunters and find out what makes them so good, so we can make ourselves a little bit better in the field when we go out the next time. Sure. First thing we want to start out with, let's let's find out. Do you carry a backpack into the woods with you? Yeah, I do. Um, Let, let's let's lay I, that, I, let's lay it on the ground, open a zipper, and just completely run through what you pack with you. Okay. Really, really the, the main thing, um, the main things that I carry in my backpack, first of all, one of my most important tools and a tool that I completely feel naked without and, and literally is my easy hanger. Um, I always have my easy hanger in my backpack and first thing I do when I get in my tree is I hook my safety belt up and I put it, I, I hang my easy hanger and then I can hang my bow on that easy hanger. And I always hang it about, uh, two feet over my head. So all I got to do, whether I'm sitting or standing is just reach up and all I got to do is lift my bow up an inch and it's off the easy hanger and ready to rock. So that easy hanger for me is a very important tool. I know you see the commercials with us saying, Hey, we wouldn't go in the woods without our easy hanger, blah, blah, blah. But it is the honest to God's truth. That easy hanger makes getting your bow ready and getting ready for the shot so much easier. It puts your bow right in front of you. So you barely even have to move. So that's one of my main things. Along with that, um, typically when I'm climbing up into my tree, um, I like to have my binoculars and my rangefinder in my backpack just because um, I don't like stuff hanging around my neck when I'm climbing, just in case something will happen if I would fall. Um, once in a while when you're climbing up in the tree, your binocular strap gets hooked on something and then you kind of pull and it snaps up and bonks you in the face. I've had that happen a few times. So I stick my binoculars and my, and my rangefinder in my backpack so when I get up in my tree, um, I flip it on and I then I pull my tether through, and then I get hooked up to my safety system. Um, a lot of times, I also carry a, a, a small wind checker. I typically don't use a wind checker a bunch because I always feel like I can feel the wind in my face, and 
if my wind's not right, I never go to a stand. I always check the wind for the stand I'm going to be in. I'm, I'm always, always playing the wind. I think the best deer hunters, that's the most important element to killing big deer is making sure you have the wind in your favor. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times, um, I don't know if I really need a backpack, you know, in colder, colder times of the year, I might carry in a, a couple extra heat packs in there if it's real cold. Cause sometimes I, you know, definitely in November, I like to sit. My cameramen like to kill me sometimes cause I'll sit daylight till dark and sometimes it gets a little boring, but you just never know. You know, I feel like I got a better chance of killing a deer if I'm sitting all day rather than sitting on the couch watching a football game. So, um, I'm trying to think of what else I like to put in there. Um, you know, I, I, I mainly just because the easy hanger is kind of long and that's, that's mainly the reason I carry a small backpack is just to haul in my easy hanger and get up in the tree with my, um, my binoculars and my, and my, uh, range finder. And I typically carry a pull-up rope. A lot of stands I go to have a, have a rope in, in them, but, um, I think a pull-up rope is, is a pretty key element, um, especially when you're getting, uh, camera gear, bases, arms, the camera itself in and out of the tree. Um, if I'm carrying a rope and my camera guy's carrying a rope, uh, we can rope several things down at once, make the time quicker because I feel like the more time you spend getting in and out of your tree and the more time you stand at the bottom of the tree, that's more time that an animal can kind of sense where you're at and where your tree is at. So I like to get in and get out quick, try to dis- disrupt the woods as little as possible. And just a few little things, you know, uh, years ago when I hunted, uh, with Bill Winky a lot in Iowa. I was working for Realtree at the time. And at that time, Bill just wasn't really into video. And, you know, he was a writer and, and he was, he was, uh, very scent conscious and, and just didn't really like the video kind of a thing. You know, he just wasn't real into it yet. Now today's a different story. You know, he's got Midwest Whitetail on, um, on the internet and on the Sportsman's channel. It's very successful. And Bill is, uh, definitely a mentor to me and a, a guy that I really look up to. But in those early days, um, he had a suit that he wore and he wouldn't let me take a backpack into the woods. So I would put my wrench for my base in my pocket, my pull-up rope in my pocket, and then I would uh, take an easy hanger and put it in my pocket and then just throw my arm and base over my shoulder and my camera over my shoulder and we'd walk in. And so we didn't take anything extra into the tree just for scent purposes. And that kind of made me a little bit stealthier. Um, you know, before I started hunting with Bill, I'd always take a big backpack full of crap that you never use, you know. And, um, when you got two guys in the tree with all the backpacks and stuff, you kind of turn into a big blob up there. So I think if you don't have a backpack, it makes it a little bit less conspicuous maybe. Um, but if, if I do take a backpack, it's just to take those few little items and my pack's usually pretty light. Right. Gotcha. What, is there any particular backpack that you carry brand wise? You know, right now I'm just carrying a scent lock pack. It's a perfect little pack. It's got a small zipper on the front um, and a big compartment. It's got a couple of side pockets. You can put water bottles in um, that are pretty nice, but that's that's pretty much the one I'm using right now is just a small um, scent lock backpack. And then, of course, it's got scent lock technology in it, so you can activate it in the dryer if you want. And it'll absorb scent you know, from anything that's inside. Right, for sure. We'll get into a little bit about your camouflage. Tell us what kind of camo you're wearing out to the Whitetail Woods. Well, obviously I wear a real tree and, uh, the extra patterns, the new extra patterns are phenomenal patterns. They've got a, they've got a, a brown one and they've got a one with a little more green in it for the spring. And they're phenomenal patterns. Like usually, you know, they blend in really well with the surroundings. But I think my favorite pattern uh, is the max one. It's more of a Western pattern. It's kind of got a sagebrush look to it. And it's, it's, um, it's got a little bit of a green, almost like a glow in the dark green look to it. And so it works really good in light, in light. Uh, colored trees, like if you're up high in a maybe like an aspen type grove or, or uh, in some trees that are a little lighter or, or with less uh, vegetation in them, 
And then it works really great, you know, when you're elk hunting and antelope and mules are hunting out in the West, you can really blend in. And, and uh, if you got a face mask on, you can sit in the sagebrush. And it, it really is, to me, the best Western pattern out there. I mean, it's uh, a pattern that you can disappear into the sagebrush with. And it's it's something I really like a lot, even when I'm even when I'm turkey hunting in the spring and, and then white tail hunting, too. It's a great pattern. Right, for sure. Okay. So real tree camo. Tell us, uh, before you go to the woods, do you, do you do any kind of uh, scent preparation as far as shower and scent control with any kind of shampoos or, or soaps? Yeah, yeah. I think anything you can do definitely helps. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't, don't think it works. And a lot of people don't do it because it's just extra steps. But once you get into the habit of it, it just becomes part of your routine. And uh, then it's just like old hat. It really doesn't really doesn't bother you know. But what I do is I use I use uh, all the scent lock liquids. Um, shower with the with the you know scent free soap and and then um, I like to activate my scent lock garments in the in the dryer. Put it on high for about twenty minutes and activate it, and then put it into you know one of their um, scent lock bags and. You know, it keeps that stuff really nice and fresh. And so when you get out of the woods and you put your camo on, get zipped up, wear the head the head mask or one of the neck gaiters. And I think it really helps with your scent. Um, it's just uh, a routine that everybody should get into. And, and some people think it's, some, some people don't believe in it. Some people do. Um, but I think that anytime you can, you know, take advantage of the technology that is out there, uh, especially with the ScentLock products, I think you can um, help yourself in certain situations, maybe it's the wind gusts in a different direction for a couple of minutes or two or three gusts. Um, and maybe the difference between a deer smelling you and thinking, Hey, this guy's a mile away, or this guy was here yesterday. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, um, it doesn't completely turn the deer inside out and it gives you an extra two, three seconds per shot. So I think anything, anything you can do to maximize the effectiveness of scent control, I think is a good thing. Right. For sure. couldn't agree more. What kind of boots do you wear when you're hunting? You know, I have a couple of different styles of boots that I wear. Um, sometimes I wear a rubber boot um, when I'm when I'm in the whitetail woods and it's fairly warm. But I really like to wear more of a mountaineering style boot. It's uh, a boot made by a company called Ozolo. It's A S O L O, and they make a really stiff, rigid mountaineering boot that's great uh, when you're in elk country or sheep country. You know, it's it's. Uh, keeps your feet from getting fatigued um they've got good good soles on them and, and very stiff it's almost like wearing a ski boot um some people don't think they're very comfortable but uh, once you've wore, worn an expensive pair of boots like that it's kind of tough for me to go back to a cheaper boot because um when you're in that rough country and rocks and stuff it keeps you from spraining your ankles it keeps your feet from getting torn up um we actually at bone collector are now coming out with a new line of boots uh, from old dominion we're going to have a really great line of rubber boots. Um, there'll be kind of neoprene top on them with a rubber bottom. And uh, we'll also have several types of very good hiking, hunting boot, uh, hiking style hunting boots. And we'll also have a line of shoes and then uh, kind of some slip-on camp type stuff. So be looking out for those uh, new bone collector line of shoes from Old Dominion. They're going to be coming out really soon. And um, we sat down with the guys from Old Dominion and, and told them what we wanted, and, and they built, built us a line of 
footwear that's phenomenal. And I think the hunters are really going to like the rubber boots there. Yeah, good to hear. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really good line. Yeah, nice. the, the great thing is uh, you, you guys know what it takes to get in the woods and what you need to, to have the comfort and the support. And you, you've been there, done that, so that, you know, it couldn't have a, a group of guys that had more experience with a pair of boots on their feet. Pretty interesting. Uh, we, we got into your backpack. We got into your camouflage and some scent control. What kind of bow are you shooting? Uh, we shoot Hoyt. We shoot Hoyt. We're big fans of Hoyt. We've all shot Hoyt for years, and um, we believe they're the best bows on the market. They're tough. They're forgiving. Um, very good bows. And uh, right now I'm shooting the Carbon Defiant. It's a, it's a, the newest bow in the line. Um, and I was shooting the Carbon Spider, which is also an awesome bow. And then um, last year I shot the Carbon or the uh, the Nitrum, which is a um, you know machined machine uh, aluminum bow that's just phenomenal. And, and all the new products from Hoyt are, are about to hit the market here, and uh, got some really great stuff. So awesome! What uh, what kind of arrows? You know, right now I'm just shooting some gold tips. Um, I kind of split my year last year. Um, we were. Uh, kind of in a transition period period on our arrows we we uh have been just kind of shooting a little bit of everything but last year i used some gold tip uh hunters i think they were 100 350s and a very good arrow shoot shoot straight and tough and um really liked them a lot so we'll, we'll see what happens next year i'm i'm pretty sure we'll be shooting those again what kind of broadhead are you guys tipping the arrows with we are g5 um you know if you like a if you like a mechanical i'm i like mechanicals myself and i think uh, the most important thing when you're shooting a mechanical is to shoot a rear deploying mechanical. I feel like, um, you know, your kinetic energy goes a lot further when you have a rear deploying mechanical. It doesn't have to fold over itself. Um, the blades hit and they just deploy backwards, you know, or straight out the back. And sometimes I think some some of the broadheads that have a fold over type of a mechanical on them, um, if you hit a severely quartering animal or maybe if you hit a rib or something like that, it can uh, rob you of kinetic energy and you may not get as much penetration um, as some, you know, as a rear deploying mechanical. And I just really believe in them. And then, um, you know, a couple, a couple of those arrows, a couple of those broadheads, excuse me, are the T3 and then the Havoc and uh, super razor sharp. You know, the guys at G5, um, they're made by Grace Engineering and um, the Grace the Grace brothers and their dad are um, very, very sharp guys, engineers, and you know they're in the um, they're in the scalpel business. They're in the medical field, and they make um, really super sharp things. And so it's perfect for them. They make these broadheads that are razor sharp. They have uh, some of the broadheads have what they call a Lutz blade. It's a German engineered blade that's the sharpest on the market, mm. and uh, we really love them. And then when you go to their fixed blade broadheads. They've got the Striker and the Montec, which uh, the, the Montec is a fixed blade that doesn't have replaceable blades, but it's sharpenable, very, very tough. And the thing about G5 that I like is they're all steel. There's no aluminum in them, and so they're st- solid steel broadhead. And the Striker comes in 100 grain and 125 grain, and it's the replaceable, it's the replaceable blade, uh, fixed blade. And you talk about a power wagon. I mean, it punches through everything I've shot bears and elk and moose and everything with that and uh they just make a really great product they stand behind it like i said they're sought their steel there's no aluminum in them so they're a very tough broadhead awesome good deal what uh what kind of tree stands are you hunting in when you're whitetail hunting you know we we're we're kind of across the board um we've got a bunch of different stuff that we use to be honest with you we're kind of in talks we're trying to get some some a stand deal going with with the company now but um, you know, over the years, we've used 
Ameristep and um, there's some other stands that we use. But, you know, when we get out there, um, it just kind of depends on what we're going, where we're going. And um, a lot of times I take a trailer and I've got about six or seven different kinds of stands. And then it just depends if we're hunting with an outfitter or, or a, you know, a, f- a friend of ours that has farms. Sometimes they have stands on. So we'll, we'll hunt whatever, whatever, uh, you know, stands we have to hunt out of to get the job done, I guess, at this point. But, uh, we um, we don't have a brand that we're really pushing right now, so that's okay. um, yeah. anything that's anything that's safe and good, and you know, um, one of the things that I always tell people is please wear a safety harness. Um, nowadays, they make these lifelines that you know, once you get up in the tree, you attach it to the top of the tree and attach it to the bottom of the tree, and as you're going up in the tree, you slide the knot up. And if you're in one of those lifelines, um, you may fall, but you're not going to fall far. And uh, I I know. Um, several people that have fallen, several guys that are in wheelchairs now for the rest of their lives and have even had a, a friend that, you know, passed away from uh, falling out of a tree. And um, it's just very, very, very important that you use a safety harness and hunter safety system makes probably one of the best on the market. So that's a, that's a good good thing for everybody to get into. Yeah, for sure. We couldn't agree more with that. Nick, take us on a whitetail hunt. Let's do that. I want to think of like a, one of your most memorable deer hunts you've had over the last few years. And Is there one that comes to mind? Well, th- there's quite a few, to be honest with you. Um, there there was one that happened this year. Okay. Um, I was hunting in Illinois, okay. and um, I had a little bit of a rough year this year. I, I ended up shooting some nice animals, but it just wasn't as good as my last, last three years in a row. I had a great, great year. Um, Last year in, in uh, 14, I shot, I think, 24 um, animals in, in 2014. Okay. So my two, 2015 year, I think I ended up with, with only six. But I hunted hard, and things just didn't go my way. So I went to a, a friend of mine's place in Illinois, and uh, we had been getting pictures of a really big buck there. He was a big 10-pointer, real heavy, long points. And I figured he was in the mid-170s. Hmm. Um, and so... I went there and I hunted for five days with my bow and we never saw him on the hoof, but we were, we were getting pictures of him almost every day. And I knew he was on his feet. I knew he was moving heavy and we saw several other really good bucks. Um, I didn't have a shot at any of them, but on, on Friday of that week, the, the shotgun season was coming in and, um, in Illinois, you can't bow hunt with shotgun season. Okay. And so I had three days of my hunt left. And so, if I was going to, if I wanted to hunt and, and try to fill a tag and finish out the show I was filming, um, I had to hunt with a shotgun. So on that Friday, there was a huge storm coming in and this cornfield that I had been getting pictures of this buck, he was coming through this little funnel area out to this cornfield, um, had it been picked only about two or three days before. So I knew this field was fresh. I knew these deer were going to be pouring into this field because this big storm was coming. I mean, it was supposed to be like eight or 10 inches of snow and and so what month is this nick by the way this is in november november okay and mid-november yeah and so my my camera guy from my realtor road trips and producer Stephen mcnelly was with me and i just i said we got to get up to that field and we got to get in there these deer are just going to pour out of there tonight there's a big storm coming i just felt like they were going to be on their feet and moving so so we got up we walked up to the field and, and when we got in there at about two o'clock there was already a few young bucks that were feeding in the field and so we just kept inching up, inching up through this field, and, and this is a big slope um, coming down this field with a, with a deep draw that kind of went on one side of it, and then on the other side of the field was another deep draw. And so there was kind of a dome in the middle of the, of the field where, hmm. uh, you know, if a deer walked out, 
he could walk, kind of come out, and if he went to the left, he would kind of disappear over a little hill, you know. Right. And there would be there was corn on the other side of the hill and corn on our side. Well, we decided we were going to get on the on the um, I guess it would have been the west side of the field facing the north, and the wind was directly in our face from the north. So. I had a really good feeling that this buck was going to come out of the northwest corner where we had been getting pictures of him. So we got set up underneath this big tree on the ground. I was sitting behind an old log, and uh, the deer started pouring out. And all of a sudden, it just started snowing like crazy. I mean, huge (laughs) flakes, and it was beautiful. And everything was just happening. All of a sudden, I look up, and up at the end of the field where where the woods was, was a bunch of pines i could see a buck making a scrape and it was a buck that we had also had pictures of and we had nicknamed this deer freak nasty he's a he's a mainframe 10 pointer with a whole bunch of stickers hmm. um just a three-year-old buck but in the 170s i mean a monster and so you know i was really thinking about shooting him so he started walking our way well then all of a sudden he kind of turned and he went over that little hump in the field and i had my gun on him but i could only see the top of his back and his rack so my camera guy was kind of sitting to my right and a little bit behind me, and so he could see a little better than I could. And so he got pretty good footage of the buck, but I just couldn't quite get a shot. Yeah. So he kind of went over the hill, and I knew he was just feeding over the hill where there was a there was a patch kind of out in front of us of, of standing corn that the farmer had kind of done a turnaround there, but missed. It was about a about a about the size of a pop-up blind area of corn that was still standing, just a small little patch. So what I thought about doing was sneaking up to that patch and just seeing if I could peek over and get a shot at that buck, you know. Yeah. And most, most people would say, oh, he's just a three-year-old, but I don't pass up 170s, okay? I don't care if they're a year old. I don't pass them up. So, right. <laughs> so, okay. so, I, was, so I, was good. I was thinking about going after him, and I kept saying to Steven, my camera guy, I kept saying, what do you think? Should we go over there? And start, the light was starting to fade, starting to fade. And he said, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And I said, okay. So I said, turn the camera on. So he turned it on me. I said, all right, we're getting ready to go after this buck. We're going to sneak out there and get to this little patch of corn, and I'm going to pop up over and I think we're going to get this buck killed and just then I looked to my right and the big buck that we had been hunting is making his way through the timber 60 yards from me and <laughs> I say to Steven I said oh my god here's the big one right here right here because I was afraid I was afraid to go after that other deer because I just knew when I got up there in the open the big buck was going to come out and see us I just of course that was my gut feeling right so luckily I him hot around just long enough and I look over and here he comes and as Steven's videoing me you can see over my shoulder in the background, he's kind of blurry, but you can see the deer walking through the trees. And so I moved over a little bit. Steven zoomed in on the deer when he stopped and he's kind of looking around and he's 60 yards at the most. Yeah. And so I just had borrowed a an old um, single shot 12 gauge slug gun and I shot it two times and it was dead on. And so I just cocked the hammer and put it on him. I said, you got him? And he said, yeah. And I shot. Um, when I shot a bunch of dirt and snow flew up in front of me, so I couldn't even really see what happened. And then there was a huge tree that the deer ran behind and I didn't see where he went. So I looked at Steven and I was all excited. And I said, Did, what happened? And he said, I don't know. And I, so I he was like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know if I hit him or not. You know, I was kind of freaking out a little bit because it's a big buck, you know? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we got up and we walked out into the field and I looked up and the deer only went about 25 yards. And, um, man, I was just elated. And he was just a, bruiser of a buck, huge, long points, 40 inches of mass. You know, he's, he's got kind of short main beams. His main beams were only 21 inches, and that, that um, was a little bit deceiving in the pictures I was seeing of it. So, yeah. you know, I thought he was probably a, at least a mid-170s deer, but he ended up being right at 170. 
still for me, you know, um, one of my top three bucks of all time and just a, just a great hunt, you know, to be able to see a buck that you had pictures of and, and, um, you know, just put the plan together. And and when your gut tells you it's going to happen, um, and then it does, that just makes you feel good as a hunter because, you know, I've put in a lot of time on this deer and really was the deer I wanted to kill and was a little bit, uh, was a little bit sad that I that I didn't get to shoot him with my bow because um, had I been bow hunting, he would have walked almost right underneath the stand I was going to hunt. So, um, so a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, sad because I didn't get to shoot him with a bow. But nonetheless, I mean, I was so pumped to walk up there and get my hands on this buck. I was just elated. So that was that's one of my more recent uh, big buck stories that you know it still sticks in my mind and um, hopefully it won't be long and I'll, I'll get it back from the taxidermy shop so that's nice. what I'm looking forward to now yeah. that, that was the freak nasty buck you said <laughs> well that that one um, gosh I can't even remember what we were calling this one uh, what were we calling that buck and I can't remember the other one was freak nasty because they had all these points and stuff gotcha but this one was this one was called jeez um, I can't I'm, I'm at a loss right I'm now. sure it'll come to you course, as soon as we hang up of course yeah, of course, of course, you name some of those bigger ones, you know, and, and uh, some people think think that's goofy, but when you're when you're you know with a group of guys and you, you're all looking at deer all the time, and then you start talking about these deer. Well, I saw this deer, that deer. Tend to have to say every time, you know, that big five by five with a crooked brow tie that comes out beyond his ears, blah blah blah. It's just yeah. way easier to give them a name, you know what I mean? So, yeah, oh yeah, so no, you, it's one of our one of our favorite pastimes is to name bucks, and Dusty's got oh, me going yeah. on it, and now I do it too. I love it. Yeah, and when yeah, and when you have a when you have a piece of property, even if it's public land that you go to, and you, you know you see bucks um, from year to year, and, and unfortunately for me, I don't own my own land, so um, it's fun for me to, to to get on a piece of land that I have permission, or even on a piece of public ground, and take pictures of deer and try to figure out deer from year to year and watch them grow up. And you know, each time you go out there to check your camera, um, you know you see what's moving around and, and, uh, it's just really exciting. It's like Christmas every time you go out. And, and now today, um, you know, Bushnell is, is the camera that I use and they've got a new camera that is just phenomenal and it'll send you pictures to your cell phone. So it's great in several ways, you know, right away when the deer is there in that area. And plus you don't have to go in and, and put your scent down or screw up the woods. Um, you just get a picture of the area on your phone and you can tell what's moving and what time they're coming and going and what time they move through and, you can tell, you know, uh, when a buck starts to move during daylight hours. And I think that's a, a really key element in shooting a mature buck. Um, if you have a deer that's in an area and you have almost exclusively night pictures of that deer, chances are, you know, in that early part of October when your season starts or September, you know, unless he's, unless you're early, early September and they're coming out in the daylight and they're real visible and patternable like they are in the West, um, you can, you can, count on that that deer is going to continue to be nocturnal. And so I think the best thing to do when you're chasing a deer like that is to wait until, you know, especially, you know, I know it's a little tougher if you're hunting ground where a lot of people hunt or if you got to share ground with guys. If you have a little piece of ground that you're hunting on your own, especially, if you're seeing a deer that's nocturnal, I wouldn't even hunt him until he shows up in the daylight. When he starts showing up in the daylight, you know he's on his feet, you know he's moving, and that's the time to move in. You're going to have a really good chance of seeing him and a really good chance of killing him. But if you're hunting a deer that's nocturnal and you're just going into his territory and you're laying down your scent, you're moving around, and you're letting him know that you're in his core area, I think you lessen your chances of killing that deer when he starts to move in daylight because he knows you're onto him. Um, if you can stay out of the area, and I know guys love to hunt, and I know they just love to get out, out and get in the stand, but those big mature bucks, 
there's one thing that gets them killed, and that's the ladies. And until they start to seek ladies, you know, they're going to be nocturnal, and they're going to be out in the dark only, and you're just kind of spinning your wheels if you're in there chasing them in the daylight. You know? Now, that, that doesn't go for everywhere. Obviously, if you're hunting public land and you've got a lot of different people moving around, it might move deer around, so you might have a chance. But I just really believe that if you're on a big deer and you're getting a lot of serious pictures of him, if he's showing up on a daily or, or a couple times a week basis, he's there. He feels at home there. He likes it there, and he wants to stay there. So wait till you see him in the daylight to get it to move in, and you'll have a really good chance of killing him. That's a great tip. I love that. Very, very nice. That was a great, great hunt, man. I, you were very detailed, and it's like we were sitting there on your shoulders. That was, that was a great story. Thank you for telling that one. Oh yeah, it's it's just so great when it happens when it all comes together and so many times, you know, like I say, hours and hours and days and weeks and months in a tree and it doesn't come together. But when it does, man, you wanna talk about a good feeling. Holy yeah, smoke. Yeah, <laughs> you wanna you wanna shout and scream but you end up whispering. <laughs> That's right. There are not too many feelings in the world that make you feel like that after you put so many hours in and it finally, finally comes together. Completely yeah. agree. So I have ten, right. I have ten kind of uh Quick questions here for you, and we'll, we'll get get you off to uh, spend more time with your girlfriend instead of spending time with us nutheads. Um, what, so. She probably needed a break anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. That's pretty funny. All right, so what's your number one hunting tip of all time? There are a million, but you've, if you had to pick uh, one, just definitely. one. Definitely hunt the wind. Okay. Never, ever, ever, ever go against the wind. I mean, you've always got to keep the wind at your at your face. If you're hunting a big deer and the wind's wrong, it's never going to happen. If you're going after an elk and the wind's at your back, you may as well go back to the truck. So it's all about the wind. Very nice. All right, you kind of touched on this one earlier in the show, but I wanted to kind of make sure. this. Uh, what's that one thing that you have to have with you every time you go in the woods or you feel naked? My, my literally, my most important tool when I'm hunting is definitely my rangefinder. Okay. I just, it just takes all the guesswork out of, out of bow hunting. Um, I never leave it. If I leave it, I go back for it. I'd rather, I'd almost rather leave my bow and try to throw my binoculars at a deer and kill it rather than leave my rangefinder. Right, right. I just, it's just such a valuable tool, whether you're rifle hunting, shotgun, muzzleloader, or bow hunting, it's, it's invaluable. That's a good one. I have to have to agree with that. I've had some experiences where it just didn't go as well when I, and when I didn't have it, but when I did, things things happened the way I wanted them to. Yeah, and and you know with the with the rangefinders we use the Bushnell rangefinders, they have the arc technology in them, and it gives you the compensated angles. Yep. So if you're on a steep hill shooting straight down, it's going to tell you you know how much you need to shave off. So if it's if it's a 26 yard shot and at a steep angle, it's going to tell you if it's 24 or 20, um, and, and they really take the guesswork out of happen to hold high or low or whatever so right. they're a very valuable tool very cool all right what's uh what's that one favorite book that you have about hunting that you maybe you shared it more often than not you've read it more times than others what's that one book or, or reference that you go to in print geez you know that's tough for me um i don't do a lot of reading but a book that i read that was really exciting hunting book um was a book called the great brown bear men and it was about two gentlemen from alaska um pinnell and Tallison were their names and uh just a bunch of really cool stories about brown bear hunting, the size of the bears they killed and the adventures they had. And that was a good book for me because that was a, a species that I always dreamed about hunting when I was a kid. Um, I've been lucky enough. I went to Russia and I got two years in a row and I shot, got to shoot two great big brown bears. I've never shot an Alaskan brown bear, but um, that's a book that always just kind of sticks in my mind. 
um, because those guys just did some phenomenal things way back in the day with those big old brown bears. So my life is so hectic, to be honest with you, I don't get a ton of time to read, but uh, gotcha. that's one book that always kind of sticks in my mind. That's cool. Very nice. All right, so how old yeah. are you today, Nick? I'm four, I'll be 43 on Sunday. 43. All right, well, happy birthday. Um, Thank you. By the way, that's great. 43. What would the 43-year-old Nick Munt tell the 20-year-old Nick Munt now, knowing what you know today? Well, the first thing, the first thing I'd tell the, the 20-year-old Nick Munt is uh, open an IRA, maximize <laughs> it, <laughs> put, the, put the maximum amount of money you can in it, and when you're 43, you'll have a million dollars in your account. <laughs> that's, that's probably the best tip we've heard on this show ever. <laughs> I had a guy, this is no kidding, when I worked at the barbershop, there was a guy that, that lived in my hometown and he was a single, he was a single man, had been single all his life and um, lived in a trailer house, drove um, the oldest two or $300 car he could find, yep. saved his money. And I kid you not, if it wasn't every day, it was every other day. He came in the barbershop and he was always giving me good advice. Always. Hmm. He told me almost every time he came in, he asked me, did you start your IRA yet? Did you start your IRA yet? And you know, I didn't, I never did because I wasn't making much money. And I felt like I couldn't afford it. And uh, when I look back on it now, if I would have just listened to him and paid myself first before I paid anybody else and opened an IRA. Um, if you open an IRA when you're 20 and you maximize it, put as much money as you can into it, by the time you're 40 or 50, you'll have a million dollars in your account and you'll have your retirement set and you'll be good to go. And so I wish I would have listened to that advice. It wasn't until about 15 years after that, that I finally opened my IRA and, uh, I wish I would have listened to him because it was great advice and, um, I'd have a lot more money today if I'd have listened. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the most fascinating conversations occur in a barber shop. And I think at some point, cause I have the same experience when I go see my barber and it's an old school barber type style. Um, and we have the, 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 you can listen to all the conversations they're having. And I swear that that whole aspect deserves its own podcast, the barbershop oh, yeah. podcast. It's fantastic yeah, stuff. It, I don't know what it is about when people go to the barbershop, but they just spill their guts, boy. It, they really do. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. All right. So <laughs> I was, I was cutting the guy's hair one time, just real quick. I was yeah, sure. Old guy's sure. Hair. He sat, he sat down in my chair and, and uh, I said, so how's things going? You know, I was putting the cape on and getting him all ready. And I said, how's things going? He said, oh, they're going pretty good. He said, today's my 50th wedding anniversary. And I said, wow. I said, I can't imagine being that old, let alone being with a woman that long. And he laughed a little bit. Yeah. And I said, so, so how was it really? How was it? He said, man, it's been like five minutes. I said, is that right? That's great. He said, yeah, underwater. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that was a pretty funny story. Uh, this, you hear you hear a lot in the barbershop. I hope your girlfriend. Anyway, I hope your girlfriend's going to sit next to you. Yeah. <laughs> now she's locked. She's locked in the closet. I'll let her out. When all done. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Uh, all right. So Nick, you're at a convention somewhere. You're at a the ATA convention and you're at the hotel and you, you're in the elevator. Somebody steps in and they strike up a conversation and they ask you what you do for a living. What do you say? I tell them I'm a hunter. I tell them uh, that I host a couple of television shows, um, on the outdoor channel and, um, I'm a hunter. I've been in the hunting business for the last 20 years and, and, um, so I was raised doing, and that's, uh, that's how I make my living. Nice. What did you have for breakfast this morning? You know what? It's my favorite meal of the day, and I wake up and I cook every every day. I cook breakfast. So this morning I had uh, bacon, two eggs, and two days ago I made a huge batch of gravy that I kind of uh, sausage gravy, fry up some sausage, and then I make uh, gravy and biscuits. And so I 
kind of eat some of that throughout the week. And so this morning I had two eggs over easy with gravy on them with uh, bacon on the side. Yeah, man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> love sounds I love cool. to cook. That's cool. That's very cool. All right. If you could have a billboard and you can say anything you want, it's a blank slate. You have your own billboard. What does it say on the billboard? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, you can do a hashtag. Yeah. You can do anything you want. What does it say? How about uh, you can't fix stupid? <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. That's billboard this Mississippi. I say that a lot. Yes, very much so. Uh, that's a tough one. I don't know. That is a tough, a tough one. All right, so yeah. when you hear the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, something that I think is successful, the, the guy that would probably come to mind to me would be Bill Jordan. Yeah. Um, take a guy that, uh, you know, basically started started this company from nothing and has built it into an empire. Um, very happy along the way doing it. Uh, got to hunt basically as much and as often and as many places and whatever he wanted to. Um, and all in all is very happy and healthy. And so, um, when you think of success, especially in hunting circles, you, you, you think of Bill because he's, he's done it all. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, pretty driven, doesn't have to go to work, but he's at work at, you know, most days. Um, so I, I guess, it would, I guess, you know, as far as, uh, hunting goes and, and hunting business, I, I definitely would think of Bill. Bill Jordan, very good answer. All right, what's a day in the life of Nick Munt look like? Well, it just kind of depends on the day. I will say that I'm, uh, my life is pretty versatile. I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that way. Um, uh, like on a on a normal day when I'm not um, when you're not working, an appearance. Yeah, like when yeah, you're not working, I'm, what's that? What's that like? You know, when I'm not on the road, I'm pretty I'm pretty chill. So I get up get up out of bed in the morning and um, make a pot of coffee and. Uh, I love Sports Center, so I usually catch a you know the first you know episode of Sports Center right off the bat. Get get out of bed for that noon Sports Center, you know. Yep, yep, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I really can't sleep in, so I get up pretty early and get a pot of coffee. Usually make myself some type of breakfast, like I said, and and then uh, I don't know why, but I like to I like to pick up my house, and keep it clean, and um, get my laundry done. I don't like my laundry to pile up, so I usually do you know, whatever I got in my basket every day. I do my laundry and. Um, and then I just kind of take her around my house. I've got a, I've got a cabin. I'm from South Dakota, but I've got a cabin in Georgia that I spend quite a bit of time at. Okay. Um, it's on the Chattahoochee river. Um, so I spend, I spend some time down there and then I spend some time in South Dakota. But, uh, when I'm down there, um, I take her around in the yard into my garage and, you know, I just, I just try to try to make it so I really don't have any obligations. I, I, um, keep my schedule as open as I can when I'm at home and just kind of do what I want to do. I, I really don't have any kind of schedule, gotcha. which is kind of nice. Take a nap if I want to. It's the um, best kind of schedule to have. In yeah. A lot I like of ways. To, yeah. And, and a lot of times I'm on the road, so I don't get to do that. Yeah, so yep. the very few days I do get at home, I like to just kind of relax and, um, take what comes at me, I guess. I don't really get too, gotcha. too schedule orientated so 300 days out of the year you're you're usually on the road and what's a day in the life of you of your work life look like well when i'm you know a lot of those days are hunting you know i spend uh september october november december and and usually part of january in the field and then um april may well half of march april may and then into june i spend turkey hunting bear so you know i'm on the road uh september october november december uh 120 to 150 days in the fall and, you know, 60 to 80 in the spring typically. So 
a lot of that's hunting. And, and um, when I do appearances and stuff, typically uh, if I'm doing a sports show, I'll travel on a Thursday, do a show Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, travel home on Monday, um, get caught up on expense reports and paperwork um, on the Tuesday, hang out on a Wednesday. Um, maybe on a Wednesday or Thursday, I'll have a um, I have to go into the office and do interviews for shows. You know, we get in front of the green screen and do our interviews for our television shows. We, t- we produce 20 original episodes a year for ro- for a Bone Collector and 13 yep. for Road Trip. So um, there's a lot that comes with that. Um, sometimes in the middle of the week, we do commercials, uh, photo shoots for companies. Um, this past week, in the middle of the week, we did the Squirrel Master Classic over in Alabama with uh, Jackie Bushman and the guys at Buck Masters. Yep. Um, so the middle of the week is uh, kind of reserved for you know getting caught up on paperwork and stuff around the office. So um, and then you know if we do an event, a lot of times at the event we'll be at a booth signing autographs or taking pictures with fans, selling hats and T-shirts, and then a lot of time at those events we'll do an hour seminar. Um, usually like twice a day. And uh, so we get up there and basically in our seminars, we like to keep it more of a um, question and answer type of a deal rather than try to get up there and teach somebody something. Yep. I feel like people have unlimited uh, resources on the internet. So if they really want to learn, you know, a lot of people do that. Um, so I don't want to get up there and make it seem like I know more than people do about hunting because I know there's a lot of guys that aren't on TV or they don't write for magazines that are as good or better hunter, you know, than I am. So I like to answer questions that people want to hear and we kind of make it like a campfire, you know, we're like we're all in a hunting camp together around a campfire and people can shoot questions and maybe I'll start off telling a little bit about myself and where I came from and how I got here and then it kind of helps people to relax a little bit and then people can ask the questions they want to ask. So that's kind of a day or a, a, a kind of how my week goes, I guess you could say, with uh, kind of the show circuit and, and the appearances, I guess. Gotcha. Sounds busy. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. busy. It's yeah. busy. But right. I enjoy I enjoy traveling. I've been living on a suitcase for twenty years, so <laughs> All right, so you're used to that. I got, I got yeah. I got a loaded question for Nick here. Who's the better hunter, you Waddell or T Bone? You know, that that is a loaded question. Um <laughs> I think T Bone's definitely the best shot on all of us. I think I think T Bone, you know, is definitely the most limited, um, just because of, you know, his his physique. You know, he's a big fella and He's not really made for the mountains. You know, he's a whitetail hunter pretty much, and um, but he does like to hunt hogs and stuff like that. And he'll shoot a turkey now and then. But uh, you know, I can't. I'm not going to say that I'm that I'm a better hunter than Waddell because he is uh, one of the best hunters there is. I mean, when it comes to elk and turkeys and deer, um, Michael Michael is a, a phenomenal hunter, and uh, he gets it done. So I can I can assure you, you know, if you're somebody that's a guide and you got Michael Waddell going with you. Um, when the opportunity presents itself, um, that arrow is going to be ripping right through the animal's rib cage when you're hunting with Waddell. So he's a great hunter. Sounds like y'all pretty so good I guess, hunters. I guess, yeah, I yeah. guess I'm going to say Michael. I'm going to say Michael. Michael, all right. Where else? <laughs> so I was going to make you answer that. You're taking the easy way out. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> Uh, hey, Nick, this has been awesome, man. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you for a little over an hour now. And where can we find you when you're not here on the mic with us on your your social media, your websites? Where can we find all that stuff? Yeah, um, on Instagram, it's Nick's Big Game. And on Twitter, it's also uh, Nick's Big Game, at Nick's Big Game. And uh, you can you can go to my – I have two sites on Facebook. One is my personal page. 
One is like a public figure entertainer type of a page. And so I'm getting ready to switch all my stuff over to that because um, I just can't accept any more people on my personal page. And I need to move that over so that out more of, people can follow along. So I'm going to be combining that. Yeah, I'm going to be combining that all to Nick Munt on Facebook. Gotcha. And then I have a new website that I launched not long ago. It's uh, nickmunt.com. Okay. And um, I've got a bunch of stuff on there. There's going to be new stuff coming all the time. And, and uh, you can also, you know, check out, obviously, our bonecollector.com and our Bone Collector page on Facebook as well and, and Twitter. So we've got nice. a lot of stuff out there on social media. Very cool. Thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks. And Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we'll see you down the road somewhere. Sounds good. That's one class act right there. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, uh, very professional and very knowledgeable of what what he's got going in the whitetail woods. It's it's amazing. You know, we we talk to a lot of really good hunters, and you never really know if you're going to get somebody that we have to prompt to talk, or if we can. You can tell the the guys that are the professionals and have been in front of the camera for a while. Uh, and, and Nick was right there. I mean, he was spot on. He got detail oriented about the the all the little stories, everything he was telling us. Um, just our favorite kind of interview to have yeah, here on for, the show for sure. You know, it, it uh, the detail is something that we really pushed and, and stride for Jay and and uh, celebrity uh, hunter like Nick. There, you didn't really have to dig too deep. It just naturally come to the table. Just awesome. Just So thank you, Nick Munn, for joining us on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. And, Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Well, well absolutely, Jay. Uh, well, all righty, man. The Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, Morse's Sporting Goods. Dot com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morris is sporting goods. My Chubby Times tip of the week is, is, is take care of your landowners that uh, you get uh, permission from. If you're somebody like myself that doesn't have a nice piece of land to hunt and you and you got to reach out to, to a landowner, you know, just don't don't forget them. They, they, they allow you to hunt and uh, stop in, shake their hand, take them a fruit basket. You know, you can buy a fruit basket for, for $14 to $25 and that's something that really goes a long way with your with your landowners, and just a, a little thank you and appreciation for allowing you to hunt. That's just uh, something that over the years for myself and and, and a lot of people that I know, uh, I've spread the word to just get them some little something, tell them thanks, shake their hand, and uh, when you stop back in there this fall, it uh, the, that that little fruit basket sticks in their mind, uh, and it's it's a whole lot easier to get that next year's written permission. That is. Probably one of the best things you can absolutely do. Very nice. Well, thanks to thanks to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Times Tip of the Week. Thanks for or thanks to the Eurohanger for sponsoring the Deer News. Thanks to Parker Maloney for helping us with some of our background music. Thanks to Nick Munt for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast, and thanks to you, Dusty, for joining us right here as my uh, solid co-host, a pillar of this organization. And uh, where can you fi- where can we find you when you're not here? Hanging out with me on the mic. Thanks to you, Jay, for uh, being the host of the Big Buck Registry and all that you do for the listeners and yourself and, and myself and, and everybody that's involved. 
Very cool, man. I appreciate that. Where can we find you? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can uh, shoot me an email right here at the Big Buck Registry, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. Shoot me an email, any questions, concerns. And uh, you can also look me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Uh, first and foremost, I would invite you to join us on iTunes. And you can find us at BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash iTunes. Obviously, if you're on an Apple device, uh, that's that. You, all you have to do is type it into the browser, and it'll go right to the to that place. If you would like, we also have an app. If you'd like to listen to this show on our app, it's BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash app. And we also have a Google app. If you're on an Android device, that's BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash G app. And very, very, very soon, I hear us this month, but I haven't heard it yet officially, uh, that the podcast directories... Uh, will be featured in Google Play. I don't know when that's happening. Supposedly it was happening in February. We haven't seen it yet, but stay tuned for that. And when when that does come out, you can actually listen to our show using Google Play, using the app for Apple or for Android. So it's going to cover all spectrums, which is going to be very, very cool. If you'd like to send me an email, my email address is j at bigbuckregistry.com. If you want to touch base with Dusty, obviously Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com or Jim, our news anchor, Jim at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can find us on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. If you have a picture of a fantastic buck that you'd like to be get featured and highlighted on our Wall of Fame, our Facebook page, just go to BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash my buck. If you love this show, we could really use some help from you. This show does not kick off without supporters and sponsors like yourself. You can donate to the cause if you wouldn't mind. Don't don't uh, dip too far into your wallets, but if you can spare a couple bucks a month, that would be fantastic. You can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. And all the particulars about that are right there on our patron account. You can become a patron of the show. You can donate a dollar a month, two dollars a month, five dollars a month, ten, twenty-five, whatever it is. And there are different layers uh, of that. And you can actually, we actually have some some things we're going to send you if you do sign up. So that's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're on Instagram, which is bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Instagram. And finally, and last but not least, you can find us on Clamor. And if you'd like to check out the Clamor app, or if you have an iPhone, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash C-L-A-M-M-R. I think that's everywhere we're at, Dusty, and that's a lot of places. That's everywhere, a big buck, big buck, everywhere, a big buck. Yes, sir. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Folks. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.